What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. Today, we are going to talk about Donovan Mitchell trade rumors now that the Jazz are reportedly open to moving on from him. Uh, then we'll touch on DeAndre Ayton staying in Phoenix and what them matching the offer sheet means for them moving forward. Then just going to do some quick hitters on Summer League now that that is officially over, uh, specifically talking about the top three prospects from the draft. So starting off with the Donovan Mitchell trade rumors, um, it was reported that the Jazz would be open to moving him after originally they had kind of played it off like they weren't going to go for a full rebuild, more of a retool to kind of get uh, more just different veteran players around Mitchell after they did trade Gobert already. But I'm sure a lot of people, myself included, knew that that was kind of just a cover. Um, you're never going to admit you're trading your star player until you already do. Um, <laughs> or in, in this case, they did admit it a little early. So um, this kind of thing normally doesn't come out unless they do get moved. I mean, we've seen it with maybe lesser guys, like a Miles Turner, John Collins, these dudes that feel like they've been on the trade block for almost their whole career, but... When you get a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who's, um, I mean, he's made three all-star teams and he's only in his, he's only been in the league five years. So he's going to turn 26 this year. You don't just trade a perennial 25 point per game scorer, perennial all-star uh, just to do it. So um, I think it makes sense why they would want to trade him. Obviously, without Gobert there, they don't really stand much of a chance in the West probably looking at not even a play-in team right now just with the how much the conference has improved in general and even lesser teams like Sacramento right now um, I might prefer them to Utah I mean Mitchell is the best player between the two teams but after him they've got a bunch of old like just past their prime dudes between um, Conley Bohan Bogdanovich, um, Rudy Gay. I mean, they got dudes that are getting into up there in age, even close to around 35-ish, that make a lot of money. So their best days are behind them. I don't see them even making the play-in. I mean, I'm, I mentioned the Kings, like the duo of Fox and Sabonis, along with some of the other pieces they picked up. I like their roster better. Um, I don't trust the Kings, obviously, <laughs> um, just based on how dysfunctional they've been as an organization. Not really sure how we feel about Mike Brown at this point, but don't don't need to go on a tangent with them. But it makes sense for the Jazz. I agree with the idea that they should go for a rebuild. Historically, they haven't really done that with the franchise. They've done very quick kind of retools. I mean, back in the... Um, early 2000s-ish, the post like Malone and um, Stockton era when they had Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer. Those teams were actually pretty similar to this team that they've, this core that they've had in that just that they were always pretty competitive. They had home court in the first round a few different times, but I actually do think they were able to make a conference finals, which this iteration of the Jazz was not able to do, but once they kind of blew that up, they traded Williams to uh, the Nets, New Jersey Nets at the time, uh, for, I believe, Derek Favors and some picks and fillers and whatnot. Um, and then Boozer actually walked in for agency to the Bulls, but it didn't take them very long to get back up to being competitive. 
took them a few years, but they never really bottomed out either. It's not like they were having a top three pick. I think the highest pick they had was maybe Dante Exum. He was fifth overall, I believe. Um, I want to say that was 2014 or something like that. But but then Hayward kind of broke out, and they had a nice, fun little frisky like 7 to 10 seed vibe going on for a little bit there. Uh, and then once he walked, um, they still didn't really skip a beat because then Mitchell they got Mitchell and Gobert started to break out. And so they've always had a pretty competitive team overall. It's not really like them to want to bottom out. Though I will say now that they have Danny Ainge running the team, he doesn't mess around. He's not going to settle for mediocrity. So he with the Celtics, same sort of thing. Once they once he realized they were past their prime, he really said, I'm going to tear this team down. And ultimately, it was the right decision as they were able to get uh, Tatum and Brown and then um, sign free agents like Horford and Hay- Hayward, trade for Kyrie. They were able to have the flexibility, the picks, the cap space, all that. Um, and Utah's off to a great start already, obviously, with the four first-round picks they got from Minnesota for Gobert. So it seems like that's the direction they want to head um, in the rebuild is focus more on cheap players and picks. That's what's been reported. So just starting off with some of the teams that have been rumored, the obvious one that's come up is the Knicks. And they can offer really the most picks among any uh, realistic suitor. Obviously, OKC, I think, has the, the most picks, but they shouldn't really be in the in the running for someone like Mitchell. doesn't really fit their timeline, even though he still will only be 26, but it's still that's kind of old for them, um, given the players they do have on their team. But they also have a lot of intriguing young players on rookie contracts, Obi Toppin, Manuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride, Cam Reddish. None of these guys really project as like all-stars or uh, star players, but they all have shown flashes. Toppin um, showed a lot of promise towards the end of last year. I actually do like him as a player moving forward. Um, not Again, not projecting him to be like an all-star by any means, but I, I could see him being a, a solid contributor um, and a good starter um, in the near future. His skill set, he's got a lot of if he can make his if he can make a three a little bit more consistently than he has, then it's gonna bode well for him. But he's really athletic, he's got defensive potential, um, even though he has struggled a little bit on that end at times. But still, I do like him. Quickly, I don't think he's gonna be anything more than like a third guard um off the or first guard off the bench, third guard overall, or something like that. But um I do like him in that role. He's a, a good spark plug offensive guy. Quentin Grimes didn't play a ton last year, but he's looked solid on defense and has shown flashes. I think he had a 30-point game at some point last year, and then he looked pretty good during Summer League this year. So, um, And he's on a cheap deal because he was a late first-round pick. Miles McBride has shown flashes here and there. Um, pl- probably played the, the least among these guys. Um, and then Cam Reddish has... He had his moments in Atlanta, didn't really get his footing a ton he did have some injuries and then was kind of the odd man out when they signed Gallinari and Bogdanovich and then Herder was getting minutes over him and then Hunter they who they also drafted the same year as him higher than him so um <laughs> Tibbs also kind of just refused to play him but yeah they've got a they've got a, a handful of guys um which makes it interesting for both them and Utah because I'm sure Utah has their preferences among those guys who they like. I'm sure the Knicks have their preferences on guys that they like between those. Um, but the good thing for New York is that they, there's, they're they not going to have to give up all five of them. Um, probably at least three, if not four, but 
they do have to match the salaries and they probably have to throw in some of their kind of mid-sized short-term contracts they have. Um, and they do have a few of those that could be potentially enticing. Uh, not necessarily enticing, but when you're making a deal like this, you don't want to take on any bad contracts. Um, I'm looking at you, uh, Julius Randle. <laughs> but something like that where you almost would have to attach a pick to to take the contract on, let alone your, uh, get a star player for him. So I'm looking at guys like Derek Rose, who's – uh, he's 34. He's making about 14 and a half million next year, but he's got a club option the following year. So really an expiring contract there. Then Evan Fournier, who's making 18 million next year and then 18.8 the year after. And then he does have a third year on there, but again, that is a team option. So it's essentially a two year deal. So two years, 36, not too bad, especially for a rebuilding team. And you do have to have some contracts of a, a, de- a decent size. And I'm sure they could even flip Fournier to more of a contender if they wanted to. That salary is not too, too bad. It's not great. So it's not like uh, the teams with the highest payrolls are going to be able to take on something like that. But uh, maybe more of a fringe playoff team with more flexibility could use his shooting. Um, but as far as this deal for New York, if it were to go down, I'm normally anti-deals like this when you have a bad or mediocre team that adds a good but not great player. Uh, Mitchell, I think, is probably around a top 20 player, definitely not top 15, probably not lower than 25, somewhere in the 15, 25 range, I don't know. But he's a good player. He's uh, he At one point, he was probably viewed as close closer to top 15, but he really has taken a step back on the defensive end. He's got a little bit of like black hole on offense like almost uh not as bad westbrook he's obviously a better shooter and scorer than westbrook and just better player than westbrook overall but a little bit of that same mentality sometimes where he tries to do a little bit too much hero ball um which we've seen him look really good doing in the playoffs and also we've seen the worst of it especially when they're not being able to guard anybody and he feels like he's just forcing it a lot but adding a player like that to a mediocre team which by the way the knicks right now would there's no way they'd even make the play in in the East, I don't think, um, unless there were some injuries from the teams above them. But I don't see them as any sort of playoff contender as currently constructed, even with the addition of Brunson. I mean, I think they could be like 10 seed like max or something, um, unless there was significant injuries, like I, like I mentioned. But so, yeah, that team adding a player like him, which probably puts them solidly um, into the playoffs. I think I would I would definitely pick them to make the playoffs. Depends kind of what they give up and who they get to keep. I do not think they should make the deal if they have to give up R.J. Barrett. I would not do that. He's only 22. He's shown a lot of promise. Um, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well last year, but he showed some really good defensive potential. And the year before, he did shoot it well. So I wouldn't give up on him. I'm still, I'm still relatively high on him. I'm not sure he's ever going to be the all-star player that I, I thought he might be when he came out of college. But... He's still a 20-point-per-game scorer. He can initiate some offense. He's a good defender. If he can ever get a consistent shot, uh, specifically off the pull-up, I know two years ago when he shot around 40% from three, a lot of that was just on the catch-and-shoot. He needs to work on his off-the-dribble shooting ability, and then he might be able to take the next leap after that. But he's shown enough where if I'm the Knicks, I don't want to trade him, and uh, he's kind of the, the sticking point. But as long as you don't have to include him... Obviously, Brunson uh, can't be in the deal because he was just signed. Uh, And then other than that, I mean, (laughs) I don't really think anyone on the roster is necessarily off limits. Um, I'm sure if you're in New York, you'd love to give them Randall, but Utah, there's just no way in hell they're going to take him. He's uh, 
He's already 28, coming off a terrible year after a phenomenal year, which is looking more and more like a huge outlier. But he's due 23.7 mil this coming season, then 25.6, then 27.6, then a player option for 29.4, which what that's going to be his age 32 season. I can't imagine that he's going to decline that. He's probably going to want to get his money. So that's that's a lot of money, and I'm not sure that anybody would want Randall, Randall right now at that number after last year. Maybe he can regain some of the value that he built up from the year before, but I've never been a Randall fan. I probably never will be. Even that year where he made All-NBA, which deservingly so, he had a phenomenal year, I'll give it to him, I still wasn't a huge believer. I just thought that it. a lot of guys can have one kind of breakout season like that, but was kind of wanted to see him follow, follow it up before I really bought into it, and clearly he did not do that. So, um, But getting back to the point, I... I like. I would like New York to make this deal, if I'm being honest. Um, like I said, I'm normally against this kind of thing. Like Dejounte Murray to the Hawks is a similar type deal, where the Hawks were kind of maybe a, a playing team most likely. They had a guy who's um, he's not as good as Mitchell, but he did make All Star team last year, so a close to All Star level player, and it might move them to like what five seed, so they're more of a comfortable playoff team. But you know that they've got a ceiling. Um, but the difference here is that the Hawks sent a lot of their own picks and they're all unprotected where the Knicks have so many picks that even if they deal a bunch, it's not like they're gutting their entire, um, like draft capital as well as they, they probably wouldn't have to give up any, a ton of players, at least not their, their top players. Like if they could run out a team of, um, Brunson, Mitchell, Barrett, Randall and Robinson that's a pretty good five-man lineup assuming Randall can like kind of take a step back and understand his role that and he's not going to be the guy necessarily Mitchell's obviously better than him I probably would rather Brunson take um, more shots than him at this point and and you hope that RJ can kind of take that step so I'm not sure we haven't really seen Randall be willing to be a third or fourth option especially on a winning team he hasn't really been on a winning team <laughs> except for the the Knicks that uh, two years ago but that was clearly fool's gold they did not show up in the playoffs and he was a big part of that he was just atrocious down the stretch there against the hawks in the first round but i just don't really know what the other option is for the knicks i mean they've been so mediocre for so long i think they have one playoff series win this century which is just (laughs) unfathomable considering that they have been really bad for a while um so you think they'd be able to get some some good draft picks but I also saw an astounding stat that they hadn't had... Mitchell Robinson was the first player this century, first draft pick this century, that signed a second contract with the Knicks. Like, that is just absurd. I mean, they've, it's not like they've had total busts every time. Like, you look at Porzingis, for example. They took him fourth overall, and he made an all-star team with them, but things obviously went bad with the, that relationship, so they had to get rid of him. Um. But it's crazy to think. I mean, basically, they haven't had a single draft pick like completely pan out in this century. So I do think Barrett will also break that streak unless they trade him. <laughs> um, but I, again, I don't think they will. But again, so what's their option? They, they run it back with this team. They're probably a 12 seed again. They're not going to be good enough to make the playoffs. They're not going to be bad enough to be a bottom five team. And so if you're going to add a guy like Brunson, why not also add Mitchell? They're both um, 
around around the same age. They're both going to be 26 heading into this season. So you've got at least established a timeline. I know RJ's a little younger, but yeah, I would like that team moving forward. I do not think they're a contender by any means. I think they would be not favored against any of the Heat, Sixers, Bucks, or Celtics, and I don't think they should be. I think first round exit would be the most likely scenario for them if they were to get Mitchell, but you got to start somewhere. Um, even if they just made playoffs consecutive seasons, it'd be good for them. And you know what? They, they've got a lot of flexibility cap cap space wise. Um, a guy like Brunson, that contract is pretty tradable. I, they actually set it up where he's making the most this year and it actually goes down each year. So he's at 27.7 this year, 26.3 the next, 24 point nine the next and then 24.9 again which is a player option so it's going to get more and more tradable as time goes on it only runs until his um age 30 season or sorry age 29 season and so fournier would likely be in the deal but if not his his deal expires soon same with uh derrick rose so they might have uh cap space to sign and a free agent if that were to come up and i think if you add mitchell then you are making it a little bit more enticing for a guy to come there. Let's say Anthony Davis doesn't want to re-sign in a few years, and they've got cap space for that. Um, he's a little older than Mitchell, but not a ton. Um, and so that's just something to think about. Um, so ultimately, I do think that the Jazz-Knicks trade makes the most sense um, for most teams. And to be honest, that's the rumor we've heard the most, and so it's probably the one that's most likely going to happen. Just looking at some of the other teams, though, the Heat have also been mentioned. The only thing with them is they can only offer three picks because they have other ones outgoing and they have protections on them. So it actually caps up two of their years because if it doesn't um, convey one year, it moves to the next one. So that's not ideal for them. They also can only do two swaps based on picks they have. So the Knicks can offer anywhere up to eight, nine picks if they want to. I don't think they would need to just given who they're bidding against, but... The Heat are really limited with the number of picks they can offer. Like I said, it can only be three firsts and, and um, two swaps. And you know what? The Heat are really consistently good anyway, so those swaps likely aren't going to convey, especially if you're a team rebuilding like Utah. Um, but even with that, I just don't think they're going to have enough to offer. The only package you could really put together for them is um, Tyler Hero is obviously going to be in that deal, but... Based on Utah wanting more flexibility, I'm not even really sure they'll want Hero because right now he's cheap, but his contract's gonna be or he's gonna be due for an extension soon. So they probably have to pay him somewhere in the 25 million per year range, which is uh, what he's likely gonna ask for, just based on the market and other guys that have kind of at his level and his age for that extension. And they may not want to do that. I, I like Hero. I don't. I don't love him at that number. I'm not sure he's ever gonna be an All Star level player. He's certainly got his limitations. He doesn't take the best shots sometimes. He's not a good defender, but he definitely can score. He's a little inconsistent shooting, but we've seen him look really good at times, and we've also seen him be unplayable. I mean, he wasn't playing much for the Heat down the stretch in the playoffs last year, but in the bubble, he was <laughs> arguably their second-best player, if not first at times, um, with just how well he was playing. So he's still really young, obviously, but like I said, I, I'm i not sure they'll, they'll want to pay him that number. Additionally, the other contract that would pretty much have to be in the deal is Duncan Robinson. And to, to be honest, that's not even really an asset. His contract is awful. Um, I believe he signed a four-year $90 million deal um, that 
I think last year was the first year. So he's got about three years and probably, what is that, 70-something million left on it. Uh, he was unplayable in the playoffs last year, totally lost his rotation spot. He's a great three-point shooter, but if he's not making shots, he's not doing anything else. He's a total liability on on defense and just not really the kind of guy that I see Danny Ainge wanting. Um, so And he's not even really an asset, to be honest. Like I said, he probably is one of those contracts where you'd actually have to attach an asset for someone to take it on, kind of like we've seen the Thunder do over the last few years, taking on bad contracts, but... Um, so if they did make a deal with the Heat, they'd likely be getting less picks. They'd have to absorb a pretty bad contract, and the kind of big prize of the deal would be the right to pay Tyler Harrow. Um, so they lose a lot of flexibility, and I don't know if Harrow's that guy. They, they, they've been pretty outwardly saying that Mitchell, they don't think Mitchell is a franchise guy, so I doubt they think Harrow is because he's certainly not at Mitchell's level and hasn't really shown that same level of potential that he has. Um, but if I'm the Heat, I'm going to do whatever I can to do this. I'm going to give them the, my best offer, which probably is the three picks, two swaps, Harrow, Robinson, and then Fillers. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, the Heat have a lot of guys that are, don't make a lot uh, between Gabe Vincent and Max Truce and Nikola Jovic, the guy they just drafted. Omar Yurt7 could be in there as well. So they could pick between any of those guys the Jazz could. Some of them are interesting players, but overall I'm not sure it's going to be enough. But I do think Lowry, Mitchell, Butler, and Bam would be as good of a top four as any team in the league has. And um, maybe even the favorite in the East. I think they'd be up there with the Bucks, who I, I still think are currently the favorite when they're healthy. Um, but I'd probably take that team over the Celtics. I'd take that team over the um, Sixers, most likely, especially since they did beat them last year, unless we see a major improvement from Tyrese Maxey or Harden kind of rejuvenates himself. But... Yeah, I think they'd be really good, and I would do everything I could to get it. But again, I'm, I don't think they're going to have enough to get it done. And then I did just want to call out one team that I thought would be kind of fun if they went for it. I know that there's pretty much 0% chance this happens. Uh, we don't see deals like this very often. But I think the Magic would be a fun spot for Mitchell. Just because the Magic are a weird team. They're obviously not very good, but they that's mostly just because they don't have a lot of star power they're really deep actually i mean they've got like 10 dudes deep that are all 25 or younger that are all solid players and could turn into very good role players longtime starters in the league so as far as what they could offer um they've got three kind of point guards right now between jalen suggs markel fultz and cole anthony so you probably could let the the jazz pick two of those guys Jalen Suggs is still on his rookie year deal. Didn't look good last year, but was really highly coveted by teams going into the draft. Fultz makes a little bit more, but they played really well when he's out there. Um, yeah, he just fits in well with the team. And then Cole Anthony, a little bit of a shot chucker, but I think he's, he, he could be a good player. I think at worst he'll be a really good like first guy off the bench. But regardless, Jazz could probably take two of those guys, whichever they choose. They've got a couple other people they could – Trade Mobamba comes to mind because they um, the the Magic do have Wendell Carter and the Jazz do have an opening at center now with Gobert not there, but he actually can't be traded right away just because uh, he just signed a new contract. But they've got guys like Chumo, Kiki, RJ Hampton, Jonathan Isaac, who's been an injury mess but showed a ton of potential beforehand. So I'm not sure who the 
um, Jazz would want. I think if you're the Magic, you got to make Paolo and Wagner off limits and do everything you can to try and not give out Wendell Carter too, just because I think that he's the, one of the safer bets among the guys I've mentioned. Um, but I feel pretty okay giving up anyone else. Plus, they also have a ton of picks, so um, they could pretty easily do four first-round picks, two swaps, something like that. They can definitely beat the Heat's package from a pick perspective. Um, they probably could get pretty close to the Knicks package for picks, though I would be uh, wary if I was the Magic of giving up so many picks just because with the Knicks, at least you know you're not going to be a bottom five team. Whereas with the Magic, I'm, I'm not sure that's that's the case. They haven't been very good. But I suppose if you're adding Mitchell to that team, um, they likely wouldn't be. But I think of a core of Mitchell, um, Paolo, and friends Wagner would be really fun. I think they'd immediately be a playoff team. Um and they, they have a ton of super young and good talent. They've got lots of cap space moving forward, and they would still be able to likely keep enough picks to um, give them flexibility in the draft or to make another deal down the road. But, yeah, I know Mitchell's a little older than those guys, but not as much older as you think. I mean, he's, like I said, 26. Paolo's obviously super young. He's 19. Um, but he's been advertised as the most ready to contribute right away, so I think him and Mitchell – would be a great duo. Um, it, I think he'd be the best offensive player Mitchell's gotten to play with at this point in his career, um, and he would take a ton of pressure off Paolo um, moving forward just as a, another offensive weapon. Cool. Next, I want to talk about DeAndre Ayton. So last week, the Pacers cleared cap space enough to get to a max slot and signed DeAndre Ayton to a maximum offer sheet. Uh, for four years and <laughs> the Suns, after saying over and over again that they would match did exactly that and they wasted no time um, I think it was under 20 minutes from when the offer sheet was officially signed by Aiton that they matched so clearly they had no intention of letting him walk for nothing and that was obviously the right move um they could not lose that asset for nothing even if you're not a big Aiton guy um letting your number one pick walk when he's i mean look i know he'll always be compared to luca because he was in the same draft even trey young if you want to mention him but he was the number one overall pick and he's not a bust i mean he's he's improved every single season his efficiency's gone up. He started to stretch his range out a bit. It was low volume, but he shot 37% from three this year and was even shooting it in the playoffs a bit. He's always had good touch. He's a 75% free throw shooter for his career, which is very good for a near seven footer. Um, his points haven't necessarily gone up every year, but that's more just because the role. I have no doubts that if he were to have gone to Indiana, for example, he, he likely would have averaged... 21 22 points a game 10 to 12 rebounds um he just doesn't get the touches in this offense um and he doesn't necessarily have the freedom to take a lot of the shots that he likely would have taken if he were to um, be on a, a worse team with not two other all nba players on it especially when they're guards and so he's relying on them to get him the ball but yeah it would have been a, a terrible a terrible loss for the suns um, their worst case offseason scenario was going to be losing Aiton in some sort of downgrade on the roster while also not getting Kevin Durant. So they avoided it, um, which is good. 
Uh, the worst case for them now is they just run it back. They obviously lost JaVale McGee, but and he was important for them last year, but he's not going to make or break their season. And if they don't get KD, then they still have all their picks and a ton of expiring contract contracts to potentially upgrade the roster, like whether that be on the bench or upgrade at the starting power forward position comes to mind with Jay Crowder getting a little older and was pretty inconsistent last year too. So yeah, Suns did what they had to do. Um, the Pacers' perspective, I don't really know what their plan was. I it was pretty dumb in my opinion to give them an give him an offer sheet if they genuinely wanted him. Just because the Suns, it's been reported this whole time that they were going to match any deal, so it just didn't really make sense. They they had to waive four players including three of them they had to do a stretch so it's affecting their cap space for multiple years down the line and now they have all this max cap space with nothing to do with um, unless they plan on doing something like taking westbrook from the lakers for um a, with a pick or something like that i don't really know how they're going to fill it out there's not a ton of big free agents left um and the suns always had said that they were fine with giving eight in the four-year max they just didn't want to give them that fifth year that was reported last year um, and because of it, they were able to save $40 million on the deal. I agree with a lot with a lot of people have been saying that it's a weird thing, like relationship-wise. I'm sure there's going to be some things they have to kind of smooth over internally um, just because they were so adamantly not open to giving him the max. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that they wanted him back just at, a, at, a, at the right price. And clearly, there weren't a ton of teams that were willing to go max space for him. I know a lot of teams didn't have max space, and the ones that did, like the Pistons were rumored for a while, but I'm sure they didn't expect to be able to get Jalen Duran. Um, and he's just a much cheaper alternative, so that makes sense. The Spurs are, were rumored as well. They do have max space, but they're blowing it up. They traded Murray. I'm sure they want to tank, and Aiton is not going to help them do that. Would have been probably their best player, but yeah. The point is, I, I don't really understand why the Pacers, if they really, really wanted him, they should have just tried to work out a, a sign-and-trade or not signed him at all, um, just because it, it affected their cap space and they were they never had a chance of getting him by giving him the offer sheet. But in terms of what this means for the Suns' pursuit of Kevin Durant, I saw some people saying that they were basically choosing between Aiton or Durant by matching the deal or not, and that just is a huge... Misconception, it makes no sense. Um, the only thing that complicates the Durant trade is that now they can't trade Aiton until January or flip him to someone else for other assets. But once the offer sheet is signed, he either returns or he doesn't. And so you can't trade him either way. So it doesn't even... Like the, the thought of having to decline matching in order to Kevin get Kevin Durant makes no sense because they're able to trade for him equally whether they matched or not so it just made more sense to match just because they had to keep the asset and at the end of the day he makes the team better um, and especially if they miss out on Durant they would have been um, pretty sizably worse if they were to do a sign and trade for like Miles Turner or something in my opinion but I will say this definitely changes things it makes the discussion a little shorter um, and and just easier just because there's more limit on what they can offer before there were talks of lots of three team deals with Aiden going elsewhere then assets from that going back to Brooklyn um, on on top of what other things the Suns were going to offer 
I've heard that the Suns have been trying hard to exclude Mikhail Bridges from any deal. But obviously now that would be off the table. That was under the assumption that they were going to lose Aiton in whatever transaction they made. So now they're keeping Aiton. There was never a chance where they were going to keep both Aiton and Bridges. So Bridges would have to be in the deal, um, as would Cam Johnson and probably all the picks that the Suns are able to offer. Um, The Suns do have all their picks, which works in their advantage, but um, it complicates things a little bit just because the Nets don't have all theirs. So the Suns can offer the maximum picks you can offer to a team. If you um, have all your own is four, you can only trade picks so long in advance. I think it's seven years in advance. You can go or something like that. When the new year starts, you can then trade that new one, which is why everyone's talking about the Lakers waiting to the off season so that they can trade two first round picks instead of one. But the Suns can offer those four. Um, but ideally, you'd be able to do the three pick swaps in between the four picks because you can't trade picks from – you can't not have a pick in consecutive years. But unfortunately, the Nets don't have a pick in two of the years that they would do a swap. So I believe that the Suns can actually only do one swap. So they can do four first-round picks and one swap, which is essentially equal to the compensation that – the draft compensation that the Jazz got for Gobert – which I know what you're probably thinking is why would the, the Nets do that if um, Durant's way better than Gobert, but a couple reasons they still might. Well, one is that Bridges is way better than anyone the Jazz got back in that trade. I mean, I think the, the best player from an asset perspective was probably Jared Vanderbilt, but he's nowhere near as good as Bridges is or as good as he will be. And then Cam Johnson, probably the same. You'd probably have rather have Cam Johnson than anyone else that – the Jazz got so immediately the player return is a little bit better. They'd probably they have to throw in a couple more um, expiring contracts. Um, probably someone like Dario Saric and Cameron Payne, who does have two years left on his deal, but only two million of the um, of his contract is guaranteed the next year. So it's essentially a um, an expiring contract just with two million extra. But um, it really just comes down to two things. Um, Are the Nets willing to keep Durant on the roster into the season? Um, And then how much do they respect his preferences? So um, to the first point, it's possible they could keep him into the season and then revisit a deal when Aiton is eligible to be traded in January. Um, So maybe, yeah, the Suns could offers the same pick packages, but also Aiden, whether that be Aiden going to the Nets or to a third team. There was talks that the Nets were actually not interested in acquiring Aiden, but I, it has nothing to do with the talent. Apparently uh, acquiring him would put them into the hard cap, which majorly limits flexibility. So it makes sense why they wouldn't um, want to have, or why they would want to have more flexibility moving forward, especially since they owe a lot of their picks. They want to still stay competitive. But to be honest, I mean, if they were able to get Aiden and Bridges, that's a, that's a pretty good return player-wise. I'm not sure you're going to get two um, 25 or younger players that are um, have improved every single season, have playoff experience, and um, on top of the, the picks that they'd likely have to give. But that could be risky. I don't know. Kevin Durant clearly doesn't want to be there. I have no idea what his plan would be if he was going to be one of those guys like Harden who just half-asses it for um, the season or if he really would play. 
So I have no idea. And then who knows what's going to happen to Kyrie, if the Nets are even going to be good, if they trade him and not Durant. But there's been rumors that they would keep either keep both or deal both. So who knows? But then the other option is, would they be willing to give him to another team? Um, other teams certainly can offer more. But the, the questions behind that are, would they offer more, knowing that Durant doesn't want to be there? Um, or two, would the settle for less from the Suns just to appease KD? Um, and I don't know the answer to any of these questions. Um, I've heard sources say kind of both things, that Durant to the Suns is still the most likely scenario. I've seen people say that um, this makes them not even in the running. I think it's probably somewhere in between where they still certainly could pull it off. I still think that they're the most likely team for him to be traded to, but I think this kind of increases the chances that maybe he rides out for uh, a little bit more in Brooklyn and then maybe midseason is traded to the Suns once Aiton is eligible. But I do have one thing. I heard someone mention this as sort of a conspiracy theory, but um, maybe it'll come out later if it is true. But um, they basically said that when Durant signed his extension that there was sort of a handshake agreement that if he, he, he would sign the extension, but if at any point he wanted out, that they'd get him to where he wanted to go. Um, or at least a place that he, um, maybe not necessarily his first choice, but a place that he'd be comfortable playing. Um, and as crazy as that might sound, it's actually not unprecedented. That's actually exactly what happened with Paul George when he signed back in Oklahoma City. So everyone thought he was going to LA. Um, most people thought it was the Lakers. There was talks of him growing up a Lakers fan. Um, the Lakers had the cap space to do it. Um, it would have been a big three of AD, LeBron, and Paul George, which would have been pretty scary. Um, and then very unexpectedly, he re-signed with OKC. I don't think anyone expected him to do that. There had been talk for years that he was going to go to LA, even back when he was on the Pacers. Um, so then he re-signs in OKC. They run it back for one year. And then Kawhi basically starts recruiting him. And at that point, Paul George essentially asked out to say, hey, can you get me to the Clippers to play with Kawhi Leonard? Um, and they they did that. And it came out later that basically what kind of convinced him to re-sign with OKC was them saying, hey, just give us a chance. And if, we, if things aren't going how you want, we will trade you. And so it, it, it's favorable to, to both people because the player gets the max money that they wanted that they couldn't get from another team. And then they also get the choice to still then go to a different team if they want. And then for the team, you're not losing it for nothing. Um, and you're getting even more for them as opposed to if you did like a sign and trade. Typically, those are not equal value. So it certainly is possible that something like that happened. I'm not going to I'm not normally big like NBA conspiracy theory guy, but certainly could be true. Um, especially if the Suns do end up getting him for kind of a lesser deal. Um, maybe they just they didn't want to break that that promise that they made. But who knows? We'll see if something comes out. Probably not likely, but I thought it was a little interesting that someone brought that up. Lastly now, I want to talk about Summer League. The Blazers were able to win the Summer League Championship um, earlier this week. I just want to preface here, I'm going to talk a little bit about some people that stood out and uh, specifically the top three picks, but <laughs> Summer League doesn't mean anything. Um, you just have to keep that in mind as you're watching. We've seen guys struggle really badly that turn into really good players. Trey Young comes to mind. I think he was like shooting 20% from the field. He like His three-point percentage was like single-digit percentage or something. And Obviously, we know he's turned into a good player. He had his struggles early, but he figured it out. 
And then we've seen guys look really good who end up being nobodies. Um, and just to <laughs> kind of give some data points to back this up, I looked at the list of MVPs from Summer League um, over the past like 15 years. So Keegan Murray did win it this year. But then last year was Cam Thomas. He didn't do much for the Nets this year or last year. Oh, sorry. He was co-MVP with Davion Mitchell, who also did not play well most of last season um, before playing a little better at the end of the season. But late season play can kind of be um, not always as indicative moving forward just because teams are tanking and a um, little bit more freedom from particularly the younger players. Then there was no summer league in 2020 because of COVID. And then 2019, Brandon Clark won it. He's a fine player, but been in and out of the Grizzlies rotation. Um, 2018, Josh Hart, good role player. Not, not really anything more. Uh, Lonzo Ball won in 2017. While he has turned into a pretty decent player, he was really bad early with the Lakers. I mean, I think he had a, uh, one season where he was sub-30 from the field, sub-20, sorry, sub Sub 40 from the field, sub 30 from three, and I think like 50% from free throw line. So he was really bad. Um, he, he improved a lot in New Orleans, but overall, I, I don't think that the summer league was indicative of how he was going to end up playing. Um, then before that, Tyus Jones in 2016. Again, good role player, but not much more. 2015, Kyle Anderson, same thing. 2014, Glenn Rice, who is not in the league anymore, wasn't in the league very long. Um, then Jonas Valanciunas, good player, good starter, never going to be an all-star. Um, then 2012, uh, Damian Lillard did get it. Obviously he turned out to be, um, a very good player. 2012. Oh, sorry. That, that also had co-MVPs. Josh Selby, um, <laughs> won it with Lillard, uh, who again, out of the league, never played much at all. Uh, John Wall won it 2010, Blake Griffin, 2009, Jared Bayless, 2008, um, Nate Robinson, 2007, Randy Ford, 2006. So it's a mixed bag. There certainly are some examples of um, guys winning it that turned out really good, obviously between Lillard, John Wall, Blake Griffin. Um, But there's a lot of examples of guys who turned into nobodies like Selby, Glenn Rice, Jared Bayless. And then there's a lot of examples of guys who turned into fine role players with Josh Hart, Tyce Jones, um, Nate Robinson, Randy Foy had a decent career, like guys like that. So it really means nothing. The guys can perform well and still not make it in the league. Guys can not play well and still end up being great players. So, But I do want to focus in on the top three players. So Paolo Bancaro actually only played two games because <laughs> because he looked really good, basically. Um, he averaged 20 points, six assists, five rebounds. He did um, have a little bit of some tur- turnover issues at times, um, and then he he shot only forty one percent from the field, but he was fifty percent from three and eighty percent from the free throw line. And he was getting to the free throw line a ton. Um, I think he averaged double digit attempts. Um, I think from what we saw from him, it's pretty clear that he was the the right choice at number one in my opinion. He shot the ball really well from deep. Uh, he showed great flashes on defense, which was a big question mark for him uh, from some people. He actually had a game-saving block. Um, when they go to overtime, it's sudden death, and there was an alley-oop um, that would have ended it, and he actually came up from behind and knocked it out. They originally called a foul, but they reviewed it, and um, it was overturned, so it ended up being a jump ball. And then they get the ball back on the next possession, and he has a game-winning assist. Um, and it wasn't just like a kick to the corner. He um, 
read the defense and did almost like a no look to a guy wide open in the paint. Um, and they basically won on, on that shot in the buzzer beater. Well, not buzzer, but like I said, it was sudden death. So game winning assist. Um, he averaged six assists a game, which is a big part of why I liked him. I talked about this on, on the draft preview that people are underrating his passing and playmaking ability. Um, I know he's gotten comps to guys that, um, were good scores coming out of college. Like I know in draft night, they compared him to someone like Michael Beasley, but Here's the thing is like Beasley was such a black hole and Paolo is just so opposite of that. He's a really good passer, um, especially for his size. I was hearing a lot of people um, that were at Summer League rave about how just big he is. He's massive, but he's got a good, really good handle, can just create for others and can knock down shots from basically anywhere on the court. Um, I've also heard comps for him that were kind of negatively framed for someone like Julius Randle. And I get some of the similarities there, but like, for example, Randall didn't shoot threes at all in college and certainly coming in as a prospect, wasn't shooting them. Meanwhile, Paolo, I think his <laughs> first basket is like a, a step back three in Jabari Smith's face um, in the first quarter of the first game they played. So he's just so much further along in a lot of areas than some of the guys he was being compared to that were kind of negative comparisons. Um, so yeah, I think Paolo's going to be great right away. I think he's probably going to average around 20 points per game. I expect him to win rookie of the year and probably end up being a um, perennial all-star. And I think a lot of people that were high on Chet and Jabari, especially Jabari people, are, are starting to realize, like, okay, I, th- I think the Magic did the right thing, and Paolo look, kind of feels like he's the right guy. So moving to Chet, he averaged 12, 8, and 2. Um, he also had over two blocks a game. Um, he had good shooting splits, 46% from the field, 43% from three, and 88% from the free throw line. Um, but the thing with Chet in Summer League, there was a lot of good and a lot of bad. And it kind of like you could frame it however you wanted to. It depends what you're looking for. It depends what you're valuing. Like the good, for example, he shot the ball really well. Um, obviously, he shot 43% from three. There was good volume on that. Um, he was making um, a lot of jump shots, and, and the shot looks really good. Um, and yeah, he also was a great rim protector. He's got a really good instinct, uh, instinct on, um, helping on defense. And he's just got so much length that he can just block anybody. Um, but the bad is that he relied on his jump shot a lot. Actually, uh, he couldn't get by guys cause he's just not that quick uh, compared to smaller guys. And then he's not strong enough to really move defenders. So you didn't see any, any of him like kind of back down in the pain or use his body to get into the restricted area. So he really relied mostly on his jump shots, which could be a foreshadowing of kind of what his game will be like. I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that bangs it down low, but who knows? He also was getting bullied a lot as the primary defender. So like I said, he he was really impressive on, on help defense, but when he was kind of getting attacked by someone, he was getting bullied, bullied and moved around. I mean, Kenny Lofton Jr., um, <laughs> to be fair, he's one of the larger players I, I've seen even get to this level in the NBA. Um, but he's not very tall. So he, he's he's not a very, like, he's, he's wide, I'll say that. But he was going right at him and making it look pretty easy. If you just lower your shoulder, create some space with, with your strength, it's not that difficult to get a shot off on Chet. Um, and it just makes you think, like, imagine when he's facing a guy like Embiid or something like that. Like, I mean, there's just – he's not going to stand a chance. Um, so I don't know. Like I said, it was kind of a mixed bag. 
the good looked really good. The bad looked not that good. Um, and so I think it's kind of what people expected. I think he's going to have a lot of struggles early on. He's certainly not going to be some 20-point scorer right out of the gate. Um, he averaged 12-8 and eight in Summer League. I, I don't think that would be too unrealistic for what we could see him average um, in his rookie season. Probably somewhere in the 9 to 13 points per game, maybe a little under 10 uh, rebounds. And then he'll definitely get his fair share of blocks. And he'll probably shoot pretty well, be pretty efficient. But... Like I said, he's going to probably rely a lot on that jump shot until he's able to bulk up a little bit, if he's at all able to bulk up. So um, my concerns with him coming out were his body, and that's kind of he, – he didn't show anything to alleviate those concerns. Um, but he certainly did have some some bright spots, so can't um, knock him for those. And then lastly with Jabari, he averaged 14-9-2. and two. Um, but I was really not impressed. He shot 38% from the field, 26% from three, 77% from the free throw line. His big selling point coming out was his shot making ability. And he really didn't do much of that. Um, he looked really limited offensively at times too. He is just not smooth with the ball at all. He can't dribble very well. Like I said this before, but he looks like a 6'10 Jalen Brown trying to dribble. He just can't, he can't get by guys because he doesn't have the handle for it. Um, he did look good on defense, though. I will give him that. He showed a lot of versatility and a, a ton of upside on that end. Um, and I'm not going to freak out. Like I said earlier, we've seen a lot of guys struggle, especially shooting-wise in the past. I referenced Trey Young earlier, but I will say he's going to need to shoot a lot better um, or just majorly improve other parts of his game if he's going to be a good NBA player. Um, but ultimately, I kind of left this summer league feeling a little worse about Jabari. I know that on my previous thing, I said the odds are one's going to be a bust, one will be a good player, and one will be an all-star. And I picked Chet as the bust, and Jabari is the all-star. Or sorry, Jabari is the fine player. I'm kind of feeling like swapping Chet and Jabari. I feel like Chet could potentially be a good role player, but not an all-star um, by any means. And Jabari is certainly was giving more bust-type vibes just with his inability to make shots. And if he's not going to be able to make shots, he's not going to make it in this league as anything more than a... Um, decent defensive player um, maybe coming off the bench or something like that but now moving on to some other guys who impressed I know there was a ton of talk about Josh Giddy um, saying he was too good to be there blah 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 I did include him in this because he was more of an eye test guy like when you just watched him he looked like he was just picking the defense apart his passing was on full display he's a great playmaker but he did shoot 35% from the field and didn't make a single three-pointer. So his shot is still definitely a concern, but he's so good at other things that it might be okay and he might be able to make up for it just with his playmaking, especially with his size. He's obviously not a point guard. He's more of a wing player. But I do really like Josh Giddy. Um, if he can ever get a good shot, a reliable three-point shot, even if he shoots like league average, he's going to be really good. Um so I did include him just because the numbers don't really do it justice. I do think that he played really well despite his shooting struggles. I actually don't think he was really looking for a shot that much, though. He was trying to get other guys involved, which, I mean, that right there tells me a lot about him. If you're trying to do that in Summer League when most other guys are trying to just show off and get an opportunity. So the fact that he was willing to kind of highlight other players on the team speaks volume as well. Um, next, we have Moses Moody. Um 
the hardest name to say, according to Kendrick Perkins, but he averaged 28 points a game, um, shot 44% from the field, 33 from three and 88 from the line. Um, I, I was pretty high on Moody coming out of the draft. I thought he was one of those players that, um, was going a little lower than I thought he should. I think he ended up going late lottery, but I think he could have a big breakout year next year. I, his playing style fits really well just with what works in the NBA these days. I mean, I could see him turning into a Mikel Bridges type guy, three and D. Um, but I think he's got a little bit more shot creation than some of the other three and D guys. So we'll see. But I, he's definitely a guy that I'm looking to take a big leap this year. And because he's on the Warriors, he obviously won't have to be relied on to do much, but he could be a huge bench piece for them this season, especially after they lost Gary Payton. And then next we have Keegan Murray. Um, if you listen to my other pod, you know that I was not a Keegan Murray fan. I picked him as a bust, um, but he was phenomenal. I mean, he went MVP and deservingly so. 23 points a game, seven rebounds. He was a 50-40-80 guy. Um, so his shot was really the most impressive to me. Um, in college, he shot it well his his last year, but was did not shoot it well in any of the other years. He was inconsistent at times. Uh, showed like he maybe didn't have the athleticism to stick with other guys in the NBA. Um, I also didn't really trust his defense. Started to judge defense a bit in summer league just because um, the talent level is so different. So it's I won't make too many judgments there. But he he played really well. I mean, I don't think he couldn't have played better. <laughs> it's kind of why you get MVP. But we'll see. Like I said, I don't you don't want to react too much um, either direction in Summer League. I'm still n- not totally sold. I'm certainly swayed a little bit more, like thinking I was probably wrong. But um, we'll see when we get to the NBA. But just want to call him out because he played really well. Next, we've got Tari Eason. Uh, for the Rockets out of LSU. He averaged 17, 10, and 2, shot 45% from the field, 33% from three, 79% from the free throw line. Um, this was He was kind of a polarizing guy coming into in the draft. I heard some people that say they, they really liked him. Other guys that didn't think his game would translate well just because he, um, he shot it relatively decently last year, but overall in college wasn't uh, a knockdown shooter by any means. And um, he's kind of like an undersized big guy he plays like a big guy um, but he's a little undersized so but he's had a reputation for being a phenomenal defender um, and he really played well on offense too I mean he he was all over the place especially in transition so uh, I did like him coming out of the draft I think that's a good get for Houston they need a guy like that especially more defensive minded player Um, between him and Jabari Smith and then I do like Jay Sean Tate I think they're getting a good um, mix of defensive uh, wings and big guys there that they definitely need when you've got guys like Jalen Green and I think Shangun's probably not going to project as much of a uh, rim projector, more of an offensive guy. Um, and the two more, um, one being Quentin Grimes. He didn't shoot a particularly great, 41%, 31 from three, 69 from the free throw line. I know I talked about him earlier. Um, when I was discussing Donovan Mitchell and those rumors, but he did average 23 points per game, four assists, four rebounds. Um, yeah, he's shown flashes. Like I said, during the season last year, he played well during summer league. I know Knicks fans are really excited about him. They tend to get a little overly <laughs> excited about most things that happen. Um, but I do like Grimes. He also showed a ton of defensive potential last season, so I think he'll end up being a pretty good player. 
he was one of the top recruits coming out of high school when he went to Kansas. Um, couldn't really get in the rotation a ton there. Did not play well early. Ended up transferring to Houston where he was able to um, play a little better and get a bigger role. And obviously they ended up making the Final Four. So good player. I think he'll be solid. And then lastly, Benedict Matherin. This is one of the guys that I projected to be an all-star coming out of the draft. And I feel really good about that still. Um, he averaged 19-4. and four. Um, shooting 49% from the field, 39% from three, and 77% from the free throw line. He did only average about one assist per game, so his playmaking still certainly has some um, room for growth. But just as a he, – like, he's bigger than you think he is. He's a little skinny, but he's six seven, so he's got size to play the three. Um, so he won't necessarily need to be a huge playmaker for others, but he can get his own shot um, for sure. And he's a really good shooter, knockdown shooter high volume guy at Arizona and made a good percentage, um, made a good percentage again in summer league. Um, and yeah, he just played really well. I really like Matherin. I think him and um, Tyrese Halliburton are going to be a really good duo moving forward. Um, if they got to eight and two, I really would have really liked what they've got going. But regardless, I like what the Pacers have going. They're a well-run organization. And I think with uh, Matherin, uh, they're in good hands as well. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. I know we've got a bit of a lull going on right now with transactions, whether that be free agents or trades. So um, hopefully something happens soon and I'll be able to react to it with you guys. But if not, um, I might have a guest on my next pod and might do a little uh, more big picture player ranking types podcasts for everyone to listen to until some more action happens um, on the free agent and trade market. But thanks again for listening and I will talk to you all soon.